Whenever we have a congregational meeting, I like to take some time during this sermon time to, to focus our uh, attention on, on our priorities, on the things that are of first importance. It's a good occasion to kind of pull every toge- everybody together and think about some first order things. And one of those things is our message as a church. What is it that we're trying to communicate to people? What is it that we want people to respond to? And this certainly applies to those of us who preach or teach at Church of the Resurrection. It applies to all leaders. It applies even to the vestry members who we elected today. We want everybody to be on message and on the same page with regard to our message. We want our members to understand what we're about. We need to be clear about our message. I saw some examples this week of, of signs. I saw some pictures of signs that communicated a mixed message. And so there was uh, one sign that was on a construction site and it said, we apologize for any temporary inconvenience caused by our permanent construction. <laughs> and, and that was put out by a highway department. And then there was another sign that said, uh, it said, Turn right here, but the arrow was pointing to the left. And then maybe you've seen this sign. This has floated around the Internet for a while. It's a church sign. And church signs can always be a little dangerous because they can be misinterpreted. And this is a very ambiguous church sign. It says this. It says, um, don't let worry kill you. Let the church help. (laughs) Well... Sometimes that happens. A little am- ambiguous there. We have to be clear about what we're communicating. We have to be clear with regard to our message. And at the heart of our message as a church is faith in Jesus Christ. Calling people to faith in Jesus. And this is something we want to communicate clearly to others. And we want to constantly remind ourselves of. We're called to trust in Jesus Christ. And this is such an important part of our message because we believe this is how God makes us righteous in his eyes. This is how God justifies us in his sight. It is through faith in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul was the great teacher of this doctrine of justification by faith. And we see it in our passage today from Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3.24, he writes, The law was our guardian until Christ came. In order that we might be, here it is, justified by faith. What does it mean to be justified? In the Bible, that term is used to talk about innocence. It means to be found innocent or to be declared righteous. And so we can think of a, a courtroom scene and appearing before the judge. And the question is, as we appear before the judge is, are we innocent or guilty? Except in this instance, the judge we are appearing before is God, a holy, righteous God. Are we innocent and righteous in his eyes? And Paul teaches 
you know that no one is perfectly righteous in God's eyes because no one can keep the law of God, the commandments of God perfectly. And so the law of God serves a good purpose. But now that Christ has come, we're justified. It's clear we're justified by faith. Paul says the law of God was like a guardian. It served a useful function. He says the law was our guardian until Christ came. And it's interesting, the the word that Paul uses here, the Greek word that's being used here for guardian refers to a slave in the first century in wealthy Roman and Greek families. They would assign a slave to watch after their boy from about ages six to 16. The slave would uh, follow the boy to school, attend school, make sure he's doing his homework, minding his manners, and then would come home. And he was the overseer. Uh, He was the guardian of the child of the family. And Paul is saying God's law is like that. It's there constantly telling us what we ought to do. But if we listen to God's law and reflect on how we're doing, In relationship to the law of God, when we hear the law of God speaking in our conscience or even more clearly in the pages of Scripture, we admit we have to admit that we don't measure up to his law. We don't murder, but we still have had hateful thoughts, bitterness and anger in our hearts towards other people. And Jesus says that is the standard of the perfect law of God. It's what's going on in your heart, not just your outward behavior. We may not have committed adultery, but we've had lustful thoughts, turned people into objects. So we fall short of perfectly keeping the law of God. And and Paul says that means none of us before the judgment of God in and of ourselves can say that we are righteous or innocent. But the good news that we want to continue to teach and that we want to continue to believe And that we want to continue to meditate on and and worship and celebrate God for is that God in his great mercy has found a way to justify, to declare righteous the ungodly. This is what Paul says in Romans five. God justifies the ungodly. And that is through faith in what Jesus has done for us. On the cross, he takes our sin upon himself and because of Christ. God does not count our sin against us. And there's this great exchange that takes place as we are united to Christ by faith. He takes our sin and we take his righteousness. It's given to us by faith. And so when we stand before a holy God, if we are in Christ, the declaration is not guilty. And even beyond that, it's come home, son, daughter, because Paul says that in Christ, you're all sons of God through faith. So it's not just a judicial image here, which can be kind of cold and impersonal, but there is a relational image here as well. We're brought into a family. God declares us not guilty and then calls us sons and daughters as we put our faith in Jesus Christ. So this is the great message of justification by faith in Jesus. This is how people and Paul makes it clear as he talks about the example of Abraham early on. This is how God has always justified people. It is by faith. 
But now it has become clear that Christ has revealed this way of righteousness in a very clear way. By faith in Jesus, we can be assured of salvation. Now, I know we've heard this over and over again, and sometimes we hear it so much that it it fails to kind of lift our hearts or lift our spirits because we hear it so much. But I want to say that I think, and Sarah was talking about this when she talked about what she heard at the ACNA, there are many people today that don't understand what Christianity is, and there are still many people today who don't understand that this is what we believe about how we're made right with God. It is by faith, not by works. There are still people who think that we we teach that God accepts us based on what we do. And therefore, they think. This is going to be confusing when I say it. They think that we think. That we are morally superior to them. Because they think we think. That we're saved by our moral attainments and efforts. And so God help us not to give off that impression Not to give off that vibe of self-righteousness. You know the saying, we are only beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. And so even our faith, it's not a work that we do. It's not something that we've accomplished. It is a response to the grace of God working in our life. And even that is a gift. And we're justified by trusting in what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Not by moral attainment, not by religious ritual either. There are some people, some religions that teach that God or the gods accept people based on their performance of rituals or sacrifices. This is a common view about how people are acceptable to God. We don't believe that we're justified by religious rituals. Yes, Jesus has given us, graciously given us the sacraments of baptism and holy communion, but those don't replace the need for personal faith. Even in this passage of Scripture where Paul writes about baptism, how it unites us to Christ. He says, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's a union between Christ and the believer through baptism. But that comes in the context of Paul's emphasis on faith in Jesus Christ. So the sacraments don't. Replace the need for personal faith. Rather, the sacraments strengthen our faith. They're a way that God increases our faith. But we're not justified by ritual participation, but faith in Jesus Christ. So to believe this doctrine is is personally very comforting. In fact, in our articles of religion, as Anglicans, we have the 39 articles of religion. They're in the back of the prayer book. Take a look at them sometime if you're not familiar with them. This is a distillation of what we believe the scripture teaches when it comes to the basics of the faith. And there's an article there about justification by faith. And it says that this is a a doctrine that is, is full of great comfort. It's great comfort to the soul to know that I'm accepted by God, not based on what I've done, but based on what Jesus has done for me. And that's such a comfort in our performance driven perfectionist society to know that I'm accepted by God. Even though I am not a perfect Christian. Even though I am not a perfect parent, a perfect husband or grandparent or a perfect worker, or I haven't attained what society says I need to attain in terms of social status or standing in order to have made it. I'm accepted by God, the ultimate acceptance 
by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. This gives great comfort to us. And not only to us as individuals, but it strengthens our community. It strengthens our church. This doctrine of justification by faith breaks down barriers in community. And Paul says here, after teaching this, now there is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free. There is no male or female. You are all one in Christ. Yes, those divisions, those differences still persist. But the point is, those things don't matter in terms of our standing with God. Those things, those categories that divide people up in the first century, divide people up today. Uh, Race and social standing and sex. Paul says those things don't matter in terms of our standing, our acceptance with God. We all come to God the same way. Through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. We are all one in Christ. We all gather around the cross of Christ. We all need repentance and we all need Christ. And so this truth of justification by faith, it erodes attitudes of of self-righteousness and judgmentalism that can create barriers with other people. And I was reading somebody this week was commenting on how there's a secular version of self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is a sin within the church, but it's part of the human condition. And it happens outside of the church as well. Self-righteousness and judgmentalism. And he was giving some examples. He said, you know, take somebody who's very pro-environment and they, uh, re- they, they use the reusable grocery bags and they, they drive a hybrid car and nothing wrong with all that. But he says, um, if, if I'm doing that uh, right thing for the, the environment, you might end up rolling your eyes at people who don't recycle properly or they're driving the gas guzzler. Or he gave another example. He said, you know, if you're happily married and your kids are high achievers and they made great grades and they got into great schools, you might look down your nose on folks whose family life is really messy and the kids aren't doing as well as yours. Well, whether we're in the church or outside of the church, these attitudes of self-righteousness and judgmentalism can creep in and make us feel superior to other people. But the doctrine of justification generates humility. Because once again, the message is the only hope for all of us when it comes to acceptance from God is what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And that can break down barriers and bring people together. And don't we need that in our culture today? A church that is gathered around the cross of Jesus Christ and finds unity There, that transcends the divisions out there. Justification by faith in Jesus. It's a key part of our message. And then not only are we justified by faith in Christ, but Christ calls us to follow him in faith. Each and every day of our life, we're called to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, following him by faith. And we see that clearly in our gospel reading. Jesus makes this Shocking demand for those who would be his disciples, for those who would follow after him. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And this is a call, obviously, to surrender everything to Jesus, even our own life. When you take up your cross, it means you're a dead man walking. You're a dead woman walking in that century. It was a sign of death. One writer said that to deny ourselves is not to it is to deny 
To deny ourselves is to deny our self-lordship. It is saying, I will not bow down to me. I am not going to be the Lord of my life. Christ, who gave his life for me, is now the Lord of my life. It's not to deny, to talk about denying yourself is not to deny your worth or your significance or your dignity or your talents or your gifts or your brains. None of that. Rather, it's saying, I'm going to use all that God has given me for his glory and for the kingdom of Christ. So here is my gifts. Here are my talents and gifts. Here's my money. Here's my house. Here's my time. Here's my hands, my feet. I give it all to you. That's part of what it means to take up the cross and follow Jesus Christ. Some years ago, I came across an, an acrostic that defines faith this way. I thought it was, it was pretty clever and also accurate, which is a good combination. <laughs> but, but, but the acrostic goes like this. The F in faith stands for forsaking. The A stands for all. And the I stands for I. And then the T stands for trust. And the H stands for him. So faith is forsaking all. I trust him. So that gets to the point that we're not just talking about intellectual assent to who Jesus is and what he did, but personal response. Forsaking all. I trust him. And in order to get there, in in order to continue to take up our cross throughout our life, We have to continue to trust his word and what he says. We have to trust who he is. We we have to trust, as Peter confessed, that he is the Messiah. He is the Christ of God. I mean, it would make no sense to give your life over to somebody who is not who Jesus says he is. He is the Messiah, the son of God. We have to trust that what Jesus said he is going to do. He actually did. He says here that he is going to die and he's going to rise again on the third day. We have to believe that he is the crucified and risen Lord of life. And that's why we're going to give our life to him. That's why we're going to spend so much time worshiping him and gathering together and giving our resources to build up the kingdom because he is who he says he is. We have to believe that his word is true. And he says, if you lose your life for my sake, You will find it. But if you hang on to your life for your own sake, you will lose it. That he is the key to the meaning of life and the purpose of life. And that by following him, we'll enjoy life now and eternal life with God. So we have to continue to believe and to trust and to grow in that truth of who Jesus is and the word of Christ. There's a connection between faith in Jesus and following him. Take up your cross and follow me. Can you look back on your life? Are there places in your life, points in your life where you were at sort of a crossroads in terms of following Jesus? And where you felt, you know, you could go one direction, but if you went this direction, Jesus was saying, the Lord was saying, okay, you you need to give that up. That's part of taking up your cross and following me. Don't go down that road. I can think of times in my life where I was at those crossroads where I wanted to do something I thought was so important and central to my identity. And it was a sacrifice then. But now, as I look back on life, I'm so thankful that I heard the voice of the Lord saying, drop that ambition. Drop that dream that means so much to you. Now, sometimes he resurrects those dreams. Um, 
in my instance, it was in college, wanting to go into the music industry at one point and leave behind pastoral ministry and that idea. But maybe there's something in your life and you can think about this and reflect on it for yourself. Maybe there's something right now in your life about which Christ is saying, you know, that you need to, to drop that and take up your cross and follow me. Maybe it is an identity issue. You built your life around a certain identity or ambition or goal or dream. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's a sinful habit of thought, word, or deed. And you know that the Lord is not pleased and He's saying you need to drop that and take up your cross and follow me. Maybe you're holding back or clinging to something that the Lord is saying you need to let go of in order to be my disciple. You need to trust that His Word is better. That His way is better. That His Word is true. Forsaking all, I trust Him. That's faith. Forsaking all, I trust Him. So this is at the heart of our message, brothers and sisters. Just to be clear on these basic truths. That we're calling people to trust in Jesus. That we're justified by faith. And that we're seeking to follow Christ in faith. God help us to be clear about it. And consistent in this message. And give us the grace, God, to believe this and live this out in our life. Amen. 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 Let's pray.